0: Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Wow, how great is our God. So, so big, and yet into the smallest detail. How great is our God. When, he, when they went outwards, I think it was 10 One billion light years. A light year. I don't know if you get your 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 mind around these numbers. One light year is 9.5 trillion kilometers. One light year, 9.5 trillion kilometers, and that cosmic web is at what was it? One billion light years. I mean, it's just beyond imagination. And then when we went down into the eye, at micrometer micrometer level, you're seeing a chromosome. At a nanometer level, you're seeing a fiber of DNA. And at a fentometer, new word now, you're seeing quarks. How great is our God? How great is our God? That's called the cosmic eye, if you want to go and look at it on YouTube and see it a bit more clearly. How about... This cosmic Bible. If I go outward from this Bible, you'll see me holding this Bible. As we go up, you'll see you in this, in this, in this church. We'll see Limbro and on and on and on and on. And I want to say, and then God. If we go down into this Bible, what do we find? What do we find? 66 books. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Do you wonder where the names came from? Maybe you know. Old Testament generally, what the book's doing or telling us about. Genesis means beginning. Psalms is a whole lot of poetry on Psalms that are soothing to our soul and challenging to our soul. Then there's books named after the chaps who wrote it, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Nahum, Obadiah. We go to the New Testament, many of the books... First books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written by the guys who wrote it. Then we look at the letters, named for who they went to Corinthians, Thessalonians, Ephesians, and some named for what they do the Acts, the Acts of the Apostle. You wonder where the chapters come from. Have you ever thought about that? Where did they first come? Well, in 586 BC, Israel has the nations been kicked out of Jerusalem they're in Babylon. They don't have a temple anymore. And they need a way to worship and keep in touch with their God. And so they divide the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, they divide it into 590 odd pieces. Let's have a look what it was. They divide it into readable chunks. Then in the Greeks made divisions in one th- in 250 A.D., and in 1227, Stephen Langton, a professor at the University of Paris, who became the Archbishop of Canterbury, Canterbury, divided this Bible into the chapters that we have. Verses came about 900 A.D., the Bible. Which testament do you prefer? Most people, when I talk to them, say, yeah, I know they read the New Testament. It's easier to read. It's all about Jesus. The, the letters tell me how to worship him. The letters tell me about Jesus. It's, all, it's the New Covenant. Ugh, Old Testament, not really interested. You know, I'm into the New Covenant. And as for the Old Testament as well, it's so drawn out. And it's complicated. I don't know what they're talking about half the time. Those laws, endless laws, do this, do that, don't do this. Genealogies, pages of them. This one begat that one, begat that one. Why do I want to read that? Blueprints, construction blueprints. This is how you do the tabernacle. Meter by meter, row by row, color by color. Hey, it gets boring. And how about the allotment of the land? This one's going to go from the Euphrates River to this rock. And that one's from that rock to that rock. Why on earth would I want to read that, Lainey? It's got nothing to do with the Old Covenant. I don't want any of that. So why? Why read the Bible? Why read the whole Bible? Turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. In the New Testament, probably Paul's last letter when you read timothy he's he's saying it looks like i'm going to get go back to jail and he did he went back to jail and he was beheaded so he's writing to timothy his beloved son in the faith it's about 65 ad and at that time what would have happened is not all the letters were written not all the go- the gospels were more or less written but there was no canon they hadn't been put together as a book yet. The Old Testament, as it is, existed. It was there. The New Testament was in circulation. Certain guys had seen certain letters. It was there, but it wasn't in its form as we have it today. And this is what Paul writes to Timothy, chapter 3, and I'm starting at verse 14. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 14. You're there. Talking to Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy and to us. But as for you, Timothy, as for you, LRC, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Timothy had had good teachers. His father was a Greek. His mother and his grandmother were Jewish. And when you read the epistles, you discover how he was brought up in the, in, in the Jewish writings, in the Old Testament. He knew his work. And he'd had good teachers. He'd had his mum and his grandmum. He'd had Paul. And he'd been on with Paul. He went on the second journey and the third journey. He was exposed to Paulus and Luke and, and Paul and so many guys who would have taught him. So he was exposed to good teaching. And Paul says also that this word is breathed out by God, all scripture. It's not man's, or what shall I write today? It is breathed out by God. It is God's love letter to us. He wrote through the prophets, not what the prophets wanted to write, what God wanted to write. He used the prophets. It's good to read. And then it says, and if you saw those three things, it says, it makes you wise for salvation, What makes you wise for salvation? In this point, he's talking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament will make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we may be complete, complete, equipped for every good work through the Word. So if I can suggest as we do our cosmic Bible, when you look at this whole Bible, four things, and there's so many, but I've said four things, it will give, help us to understand what we believe. Not just the New Testament. The whole Bible makes you wise to salvation, to understand the salvation. It will help you to understand what you believe. It will expose, show you, give you information about God, the God who reigns, the God who saves, the God who satisfies. It will equip you in what to do every day, how to live, how to think, how to make decisions. That is what it does. And finally, it will give us faith and hope and encouragement and love. Are you reading your Bible? So now, okay, yeah, Lainey, you say I must read the Bible. Let's have a little bit and think about, okay, what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Because they are very different. So some differences. In the Old Testament, what do we do? What do we find? We find how it all began, how man was created in God's image, and he sinned and fell into darkness. Then God, I'm doing a real broad view, chose Abraham. Why Abraham? Because God chose him. And he said to Abraham, through you, through your seed, I will save the world. And and in, in that same space, we learn about grace and faith. No, 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 Lainey. Grace is in the New Testament. We learn about grace and faith. Because it says that because Abraham believed, God reckoned him as righteous. Not because of anything he did, because he believed in God's graciousness, full grace. It was, equipped to, it was given to him as righteousness. And we learn how the Mosaic covenant was established. We read that in the Pentateuch. In the prophets, we find out how the the law, how the Mosaic law is enforced. And in all the writings, which is the historical books, the the Psalms, the Proverbs, all that sort of thing, we discover how to enjoy this Mosaic law. So it's established, it's, it's enforced, and it's enjoyed. The Old Testament. 400 years of silence. Imagine that. Four hundred years, at least four generations, God does not speak. This slipped, sorry. Is it all right? Is it okay? Leave it. 400 years of silence. And then this dude, Zachariah, is doing his bit as he always, does. As, as he says, was his turn. He's in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, and he's, got, he's doing his bit. He's an old guy now. Him and his wife are barren. And God says, you will have a son. God hasn't spoken for 400 years, and suddenly he hears God. Can you imagine the shock? Excuse me, who's that? And you say, I'm going to have a kid. I'm old, etc., etc. And what happens, he says that this boy that you will have, John, will prepare the way for the Savior of the world. And as we read the, old, the New Testament, we realize that Jesus is the fulfillment, the goal of the whole Old Testament. The fulfillment and the goal is fulfilled in Jesus. This as Messiah that has been spoken about throughout the Old Testament is here. He's here. He's arrived. How awesome is that? And Jesus fulfills so much of the Old Testament. I'm reading 2 Chronicles at the moment. And it just struck me, the, the altar, when Solomon builds the temple and it gives all the blueprints. And, and you just think, ah, oh, blueprint, blueprint, blah, blah, words, words, numbers, numbers, numbers. Read them and think about them. Do you know that the bronze altar where they made all the sacrifices was nine meters by nine meters? So, asked Heath to measure. So from that corner to hear about. Think of that square, nine meters by nine meters and four and a half meters high. Yep, go read it, 20 cubits by 20 cubits by 10 high. It is huge. Morning and night, over and over and over, animals slaughtered, sacrificed, blood pouring, yuck. Over and over and over, blood. God demands blood. He demands sacrifice. What does Jesus do? One man, fully God, fully man, lays down his perfect life for you and me that we don't have to have a bronze altar out there anymore. We can come into the presence of God if we've accepted him as Lord and Savior. Fulfilled, but we understand the magnitude a little bit more when we think about that bronze altar, Old Testament. And Jesus is the high priest. They had they always had a high priest. What did the high priest? He had special duties, but he would die. He had to make sacrifices for himself because he was not holy. We have Jesus, the high priest, interceding day and night all over and over and over again at the holy throne of God for me and for you, forever and ever. How privileged are we as a people? I've got a table here just to try and see some differences, good differences, but there are differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, God chose one nation. Why? Why didn't he choose the Zulus? I don't know. We can ask him one day. But he chose the Jews. Today, he chooses, it says, um, every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, he chooses all of us. He deals with them as a nation. So when things happen, it happens to the nation. Because the nation sinned, the nation went into captivity. Sometimes I think, what about the poor person who's worshipping God with all his heart, trying not to sin, making his sacrifices, but he got killed and he got deposed and taken away as well because God treated them as a nation. But today, he treats us as individuals. We personally... accountable to God. It's no more the nation and what the church does. If I'm reading my Bible and pouring my heart out to God and you're not, you can't jump onto my bandwagon. If your mother is a Christian, sorry, you are not a Christian unless you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. There's no grandfathers and grandmothers in heaven. You know what I mean. (laughs) He gives them an earthly homeland. He promises them the promised land, Canaan. And that's their goal. And that was where they need The whole of the Old Testament is about them trying to be in that land. He gives us our homeland is not here. Our homeland is heaven. That's where we're headed, guys. There's a civil government. All those laws he places so that they know how to be a people. He promises us in the New Testament he will write the law on our hearts. How soft is your heart? The people were rebellious to the law. We are rebellious to the law. As we sang that song this morning about if the wind doesn't blow, I will. All those, remember that? And I thought, how many of us are saying, we'll really do that? <laughs> Was it just a nice song that we sing on a Sunday? And actually, I'm not going to speak when there's silence in my office and say there's a God. No, I might be be ridiculed. If we're singing it, are we doing it? External. Everything was external. It was outside. It was visible. If you murder, you will be stoned to death. In the New Testament, it becomes internal. If you think bad thoughts. If you are angry with someone, you are committing murder. It's gone from the outside to the inside. The inheritance, their inheritance in the Old Testament is the promised land. Our inheritance is in heaven. Nothing to do with salvation. Inheritance, what I get. Many of them never attained their inheritance. Many of us will not attain our inheritance if we're not walking in the ways of God. We'll get into heaven, but we'll have nothing there. It's real. It's real. In the the Old Testament, there was a physical fighting. They had to kill those enemies. They had to chop off the head. They had to kill everyone. Women, children, animals, men, everyone in some of the towns. Our fighting is internal. We have to kill sin. All of it. We cannot just nurse this little favorite sin. Because God's will judge what we're doing. He will. So what's this saying? Those are the differences. It's humbling, hey. Challenging. What's the same? God is the same. The triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. From forever, for forever. He is the same. The same holy God. The same wrathful God. The same God full of grace. Not a wrathful God in the Old Testament and a grace God in the New Testament. The same God throughout. He has not changed. And he never, ever will. The Holy Spirit. Well, there's no Holy Spirit in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. Oh, yes, there is. The Holy Spirit, the same person from the beginning of time to the end of time. And I thought of three ways that I could illustrate that. The first one was, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit guided them through the desert. How? Fire by night, cloud by day. External. You went into the temple and he spoke. How did he speak? Through the Holy Spirit. But he was verbal. I'm so jealous. How do we hear the Holy Spirit, though? We hear it from inside. We hear it from when we read the word. He speaks, sometimes uh, verbally, um, audibly. But that doesn't mean if he's not speaking audibly, he's not speaking. He speaks from the inside. He gives us gifts today. We spoke a couple of weeks ago about the gifts. He gave gifts in the Old Testament. But remember, those gifts would have been for the whole nation. Those two guys, what were they called? Eliab, Oliab, Bezalel. Bezalel and Aholiab probably said totally wrong. But those were the two dudes who he equipped with gifts to make the tabernacle. Why? So the whole nation would benefit from the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Is this all right? Are you managing with this? Okay. It's wandering down my chin. As I said, I'm reading Second Chronicles, the most incredible bit of chapter like one of, early on in the chapters. Solomon complete, uh, yes, Solomon completes the temple, and they're, they're getting all the sacrifices ready, and the priests are doing all their bit, and it says, "The glory of the Lord came down, and they could not stand. Sometimes when we get filled with the Spirit the glory of the Lord comes down and we cannot stand. Oh, more of that. When I submit to him, the glory of the Lord. God's the same. The Holy Spirit's the same. They prayed in the Old Testament and we still pray today. There's a, there's a time, again, with Solomon, I was thinking about it. at the beginning of 2 Chronicles. He, say, he says to God, well, God first says to him, so what do you want me to give you? He's at, the temp- He's at the tabernacle. He's worshiping. He hasn't moved into the temple yet. And he says, remember, he says, I don't want, all I want is wisdom. I'm, I'm really just summarizing it all. And God said, have you ever thought about how that interchange went on? Did Solomon hear of audible voice? I don't know, but I, th- I think he did. I think he was like, God, in the temple doing this, praying, He'd made a sacrifice and saying God, and, and he hears God say, So what do you want? What do you want me to give you, Solomon?" So I want wisdom. And God answers it. Said God answered. Do you notice those little things in the Old Testament? The Bible is incredible. There is so much. God answers because you haven't asked. I'm going to give you everything else as well. Did God know that? In no, a little aside, that later on Solomon was going to mess up? Yeah, he did. Did he stop giving him the gift? No. For his people. For his people, he used Solomon. And then healing. Oh, healing only takes place under the new covenant. Rubbish. There are so many accounts of healing in the Old Testament. One of my favorite is Hezekiah. Hezekiah's sick. He's lying on his bed. Isaiah comes to him and says, you're going to die. You're going to die. And off he goes. Nice, eh? Lovely news. Thank you, Isaiah. (laughs) He turns his head to the wall, Hezekiah, and he prays. He says, God... Please give me more life. Isaiah's is happily toddling off down the steps, and he's, God says, wait. Oh. Again, I'm, he says, go back. I've heard Hezekiah's cry. I'm going to heal him. Isaiah goes back to Hezekiah. You're going to live another 15 years, dude. <laughs> I love the fact that he then makes a poultice and places it on the boil, I think it says. But he uses, it's interesting. Why didn't he do that before? Because he didn't have the faith. He didn't know what God had said. But as soon as God says he's going to heal, he uses a well-known way of healing in those times. He applies it, and Hezekiah is healed. Interesting, hey? What God uses. But we need to hear him. What is he saying? What is he saying? So, my cosmic Bible. We need to read the whole Bible. We need to read the Old Testament. I hope, I've, I hope my desire when I say, God, what do you want people to get? I want them to get a hunger to read the Old Testament. Where does all this stuff come from? Is it seriously there? Go and read it. It's the most, it's an exciting book. So what do I you get from the Old Testament? Two things. We can get to know God more about Him so that we Worship him for who he is. And secondly, as we read through the Old Testament, we find promise after promise after promise of a coming Messiah. And what was bought for us, a blood-bought birthright. And get excited for what has been done, that I can stand here under the grace of the blood of Jesus. And help me to choose holiness rather than my self centered way. That's what the Old Testament. So we're going down. We've gone down to the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. We've gone down to the Old Testament. And now we're gonna to go to a book. Yoo-hoo! The new series for the next seven weeks Exodus! Yahoo! Oh, come on, Exodus! (laughs) So a little bit about Exodus. It means going out. I've read Exodus. Have you not seen all that boring stuff? Get a grip on yourselves. People, this is going to be exciting. The author is Moses. It's the second book of the Pentateuch. It was written probably 1,500 B.C., And we're reading it today. You know, in the skeptics, a little bit of an aside, the skeptics probably, I couldn't give you the exact time, but a while ago, before archaeology has got better and better, said it's impossible that that book was written. Nobody was doing any writing at 1,500. Blah, blah, blah. They found styluses that are older than the book of Exodus. They were writing. Moses was taking notes. He kept a good journal so that we could get Exodus today. Where do we find ourselves at Exodus? Well, firstly, at the end of Genesis, what has happened? Remember, there's Abraham. He's had all his kids, generations, generations. You know the story. If you don't, go and read it. Then we get to the end of Genesis, and Joseph has ensured that the family is safe in Goshen, in Egypt. So they're living in the plushest land of Egypt. They are being fed from the granaries, of the pharaoh of Egypt, in an incredibly safe place, they start learning how to be in a place. They learn farming and all sorts of other things that the Egyptians were far more advanced than the Israelites. They multiply because they're so happy (laughs) and there's lots of food. They produce lots and lots of children. And it's a good thing. They're together as a people, one one space in Egypt. 430 years later, we start reading Exodus. Well, we don't, but that's how long the time gap is. 430 years. And they have become a stench in the nose of the Egyptians. There are too many of them. So they put them to slavery, they kill their boys, and it's it's terrible. The Israelites have got no idea. They've got no country. They're slaves. Their boys are being killed. and They have no concept. They've lost that sense of the calling of God upon them. They need rescue. They need rescue. So what does God do? He redeems them gospel, gospel, he redeems them. He, take, he sees their place in slavery. He provides a deliverer, Moses. The way he gets them out is by the blood of a lamb, an unblemished lamb on the doorpost. And when they get out, they sing victory songs. What does that remind you of? We are in bondage. We are enslaved. We are attached to Egypt, the world. We need redemption. God provides a lamp. His son, Jesus Christ, the unblemished one, no sin. He who knew no sin was made sin for me. He died and shed his blood that I might be restored, redeemed, and have a relationship with this God who goes from way back, forever and ever back, and forever and ever on. That is what Exodus is about. And I love this. I, uh, it, uh, I can't tell you who I got it from, but it was just, I should have written it down. So apologies to whoever first said this. But what did God do in the desert? He made them his people. He taught them holiness. He showed them his presence And he led them into his promises. What does God want to do to you and me? He wants to make us his people. If you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are not his people. You cannot be his people. We accept him as Lord and Savior. We acknowledge that we are sinful and we need Egypt taken out of us. He makes us his people. He calls us. He then teaches us holiness, the fruit of the Spirit, the way to walk and live and be that is honoring to him. He shows us his presence over and over and over by his Spirit. He fills us with his Spirit over and over. And he's leading us into the incredible promises. Promise for today, promise for tomorrow, promise forever and ever and ever. That is our God. So what is my challenge to us today? What a I trust God's challenge. This cosmic Bible, the beginning of everything is God. The end of everything is God. In that cosmic eye, we went up and up and up and up to just beyond imagination far. God is bigger than that, and you can find out how big He is when you read the Bible. As we went down and down and down into that lady's eye to to these tiny femtometers, they can't even see them, but they believe they're there. But God is there. He goes into me. He goes into you. He wants to know you. He wants to to change you and me. He wants to work with us. He's in the little, little, little detail. What are we doing with him today? Do I know God as well as I could? No. Do I want to know him more? Do you want to know him more? Do something about it. Do something about it. And if you don't know him, how do you know if you don't know him? You have never accepted Jesus. You might know about him. You've heard all the stuff. But you don't know him. Please. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do not go without asking Him to come into your life. As a practical challenge, we're going to start reading Exodus. We're going to start reading Exodus. Yes. (laughs) We're going to read this week seven chapters. Oh, my Lord. You've got to find space for seven chapters. Exodus 1 to Exodus 7. Yes? Yes. 1 to 7. And you're all going to be here. You're all going to be here. You're all going to be here for the next, what are you going to say, seven weeks minimum. Every week. Otherwise, you're going to miss out. (laughs) So don't miss out. And you're gonna join a home group. Why would I wanna join a home group? Because in your home group, you're gonna discuss. Home group leaders, quick hint. You're gonna discuss Exodus one to seven. What if I'm not in a home group? There's a lovely board out there with lots of home groups. I'm sure you can find one where you can fit in. I'm challenging you, LRC. Do you want to know God? then make the effort. Come to church, get into a home group, read your Bible. Yes. Yes. (laughs) 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 Oh God, let's let let aside the practical. And it's important though. You know, we want to be, we're so spiritual, we're no earthly good sometimes. Yes, I want the Holy Spirit. Yes, I want to know him more. Yes, I want to say his parents, but it's not just going to happen with me going with respect. Can he do it like that? Does he do it like that? Yes. Don't you think it pleases him when we pursue him? He pursues us far more than we ever pursue him. Let's pursue him, people. Why? Why would I want to pursue God? Because when I know God, And become all that he wants me to be. I will give him glory. And I will make an impact in his world. And I will bubble over and tell people about Jesus. Who has made this incredible difference in my life. And I will be an instrument of his healing. And I will be a prayer warrior. And we can make a difference. Wherever we are. Wherever you are, your workplace, your shopping place, your garage, your everywhere. Why? Because that is what God is in the business of doing. He is coming soon, people. And we all know people who we don't want to be absolutely, he's here and I don't know him. Once we see him, there's no faith required, it's too late. But every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Oh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are God. Thank you that you are there, you are real. Thank you that you reveal yourself in so many different ways. Oh, God, I don't want to come across as harsh. And if I have, forgive me but I pray that myself and every single one of us will get off our lazy butts and push with all our might into who you are and what you are and seek you out with all our might that we may know you, that we may make a difference where you have placed us. Oh, Jesus, may people be drawn by your love, by your compassion, by your incredible sacrifice, holy God, Thank you for Moses. (laughs) Thank you that he left us the whole Pentateuch. And we can take up this book written, whatever it is, 3,500 years ago. And we can read it. And we can discover your redemption. It blows my mind, Lord. How privileged we are. Thank you for this time together. In your precious and holy name. Amen.